0: A satirical muse, the desert rain, continued. The moment of impact. Timing was always important in life, but in this case, it seemed to not matter as much as the actual impact on the situation. Change was the one thing that was always guaranteed in life. The muse and his desert rain, they were on a hiatus. They had mutually called a temporary end to communication. Maybe they both knew deep inside it was not a relationship that was going to ever be fulfilled in the way that most relationships were fulfilled, or maybe it was just the motion of the sun and the planets. It really did not matter that much why. What mattered more was the timing of it. Either way, the muse was boarding a plane to fly to Sacramento to visit his wife, who had moved there. He had remained in the City of Angels to take care of his dying father, and she had pursued her career and a great job offer. The muse knew he was depressed, but depression was not something that he let bother him or prevent him from taking care of the things that he needed to take care of. The depression was just part of life. He had been beat as a child far too much, but that just seemed normal in those days. The fact he had worked with his abusive father for most of his adult life was ironic to him, but then again he felt irony was also just part of life. Everyone had their own stories and grievances about their past, but for the muse, thinking of himself as a victim was just not in his DNA. As the airplane took off, the muse sat near the window and stared out at the clear Southern California sky. The plane banked to the right after it headed out over the vast blue ocean. And as it turned, the muse could clearly see the large megapolis that was the Los Angeles basin. As the plane started to straighten out, heading north, far off in the distance over the inland desert, there was a brief flash in the sky and then a streak of smoke that tailed the explosion towards the earth below. The muse opened his eyes wider and watched as long as he could before the angle of view from his window prevented him from seeing further. It had to have been an explosion or crash between two planes, but it was so far away he was not sure. <clears throat> Maybe it was a meteorite or something unknown. When the seatbelt sign went off, he got up and asked the attendants if anyone else saw the explosion, but no one had. He went back to his seat, closed his eyes. He could still see the tiny flash when he closed his eyes. It made him wonder about the, quote, moment of impact, unquote. When the bullet bites the bone, the singularity in astrophysics, the beginning of it all, the instant when the sperm penetrates the wall of the embryo, the moment of impact, In physics, they say there is always an equal and opposite reaction for every action. But in real life, that is not always true. If a woman gets pregnant unexpectedly and is not sure who is the father, she may pick the most likely male candidate to claim as the father. We see that on Jerry Springer all the time. Still, it is that instant, the moment of truth, the point in time when something wonderful, some creative idea comes from seemingly nowhere, and sprouts from deep within your mind that makes you wonder, what really is the moment of impact? Is it God? Is it just some time and space merged into a moment of random perfection? It was a good question to ponder, and that flash in the sky made the muse think about it. The muse opened his eyes and looked out the window again. The sky was becoming dark and cloudy as the sun began setting on the other side of the plane. He touched the window knowing that it would feel cold, and it did feel cold, so that reassured him he was still alive. Sometimes, when he closed his eyes and let his thoughts drift, he felt like he may never come back. That feeling did not happen too often, but it did happen enough that it often scared him. He felt like he was merging into outer space and losing his being to the background noise around him. The cold window made him feel alive. As he came back to reality, he realized he was in the seat of an airplane and he recalled that he had been thinking about the, quote, moment of impact. And he felt silly that he had wasted his thoughts on thinking about something he knew he could never understand. He smiled to himself, and ordered a drink from the passing attendant. Thank God the flight was not that full, and he was sitting alone. He had never liked sitting next to strangers on an airplane. After he finished his drink, once again, his mind drifted back to the flash he had seen in the sky, and again, his mind pondered the, quote, moment of impact, unquote. He recalled the time he had punched a man he had hated for years in the face. Why had he waited so long, he thought, What was the actual thought or lack of thoughts that led to that exact moment in time and space? He knew the action had changed him and had changed the course of events and others that were involved in the emerging drama at the time. He went to jail for striking that man, but he also saved part of his father's fortune. He knew the reason behind the blow, but he did not know how the actual, quote, moment of impact, unquote, had come about. His rational mind would never have taken that course of action. But at the same time, he was not sure if his rational mind ever really controlled his life. How was fate leading him now? Why was the future so hard to see? Why was this girl he had never met, and most likely would never meet, pulling so hard on his heart and his thoughts? It was far from rational, and yet it was a soft feeling. "'that seemed to make him smile inside. "'The light bulb in his head was not yet all the way lit, "'but it was warming up. "'He needed more energy, "'but instead he ordered another drink. "'The plane was going to land soon, "'and suddenly the muse had a very strange feeling "'of approaching doom. "'There was a darkness starting to surround him "'like a fog creeping in from the ocean. "'Was the plane going to crash?' He knew something was going to happen, but it was not something he had had any clue about, and he didn't know when it would happen. He sat up straight in his seat and waited for something to happen, but nothing did. The plane landed very smoothly. and taxied down the runway to the gate. The muse realized he had been holding his breath and took a deep breath. Maybe it was a panic attack, he thought to himself. He knew he was an emotional wreck, but he also knew that was only an excuse for not carrying on with his life. So he sat up tall and forced himself to calm down as he left the plane. There was no approaching doom, at least not in the immediate future. The muse's wife picked him up at the airport and they drove to Lake Tahoe. The sky was clear and it reflected off the deeper blue of the lake when they arrived. It was one of the most beautiful vistas he had ever seen. Nemuse felt like he was living inside a dream. The wine at high altitude kept his thoughts on the moment, and each moment was sweeter than the glass of wine he held in his hand as he peered out over the vast expanse of crystal blue water towards the snow-tipped mountains on the other side of the lake. Time no longer existed. The ukulele girl was just a distant memory, and the warm sunshine felt like it was kissing his face. Quote, maybe this is my real home, he thought, he constantly thought to himself the same thing throughout the weekend. On the flight back to the big city, the muse slept. The purr of the jet engines were comforting in some odd way, and the stewardess had to wake him up when the plane landed. The muse turned on his phone and saw he had a number of messages from his older sister. He returned her call, and as expected, their father was now back in the hospital. They talked and made plans about what to do in regard to his hospice care. When the muse returned to his home again, his sister called him and told him that now their father was being transferred to the adult psych ward at the hospital. He was having dementia because of his age and physical condition. The muse was tired from the long weekend, but he did his filial duty and went to the hospital to visit his dying father. After the visit, and on the way back to his home, it at least dawned on the muse what was now happening. It was a revelation that changed his life. It was if a light inside of him was finally being turned on. Somewhere deep inside of him, a dark piece of coal was being crushed to a diamond. The force was weak, but it was steadily growing, and he knew now. Fate would no longer guide his life. He saw into the future. It was just a spark of light in time that he really did not want to embrace very much, mainly because he didn't want to see the future. His rational mind told him the future may not always be the happiest of visions. The present seems sweeter for now. It was obvious in his vision that from the past to his present, The behavior of his friends, family, and even brief acquaintances were all blended into an interesting quagmire of mostly animalistic actions mixed with a very small percent of compassionate actions. He had instantly recalled everyone he had ever known and saw into their futures much more clearly than he saw into his own. He could see the desert rain flooding the dry desert. It was a three-part revelation that would be obvious to any astute observer of history or anyone that took time to analyze human behavior and civil order. The muse had to throw all his ideas about his life away or they could mutate into dark realms of cunning, fatalistic, and fragile temporary realities that may lead to pure decadence or destruction. For the muse, it was the end of any subjective, quote, normal, unquote, future. He knew he would live the rest of his life constantly enveloped in the visions he was seeing. He knew he would be able to see his way forward no matter what circumstances arose. Still, he did not know and he did not want to know what those exact circumstances would be. He knew he would have to face the darkness with courage, but he was not sure he had enough courage. He was scared of dying. Chapter four, honor. He was a Norseman, tan, tall, broad shoulders and long flowing brownish blonde hair, arms like thunder poles and a big smile. Blown off course on the raging emerald sea of hectic life and thrown into the endless yet warm sea, he floats adrift on the wreck of his boat. He's the only survivor of the violent storm and the hungry sharks that devoured his shipmates until after days of scorching sun and near starvation, he lands on what appears to be a deserted island. He is alone. All of his friends have perished at sea. Now it seems like forever that he will be stranded on the uncharted island. It is a large island in the middle of the sea, and he is afraid of what lies ahead. He will have to use his wits, but he knows it will be a nearly impossible struggle to survive. He clenches his teeth and makes the determination that for the honor of his father who died at sea, he must survive the star's had guided his journey when the storm threw his boat into the sea, but he knew it was not the fault of the stars or of his gods. There was no blame to pass around because his will to survive had to rule his every moment. He knew the future was his alone to experience, however it turned out. There were no tears to cry now. He needed to survive he had been alone on the island for nearly a year. He ate mostly fish and fruits. He hunted on occasion by going to the jungle, but he dared not go too deep because he saw the tracks of very large animals. After he gained his strength, he built a small boat and was preparing to sail. He loved the boat he built. The Norseman was excited to launch his boat. He started to sing his song of, quote, honor honor. It was a deeply moving song to him. The song reflected the very core nature of his existence. All was honor. It was the respect for all of his kin that had come before him. The fact that he was now alone on the island far from his home made no difference to his feeling of honor. Now he behaved when he was finally able to leave this island meant nearly as much to him as his actual survival, he continued his song long into the night as his small fire burned low. Tomorrow, in the morning, he would sail his crude boat away from the lonely island. As he drifted into a deep sleep, he kept seeing two large mocha almond-shaped eyes looking into his eyes. He could not stop thinking of the eyes, even in his dreams. It was just a short story, a story the muse was using to explain the revelation he had about modern society. He knew why he thought of the Norseman. He wanted to be the Norseman. He wanted to meet the desert rain. His world was under a severe drought. For now, though, it would have to suffice that the story floated around in his head When the Norseman opened his eyes he first saw the sun rising in a blazing orange ball on the distant horizon he was ready to leave what he thought was a desolate island as he started to sit up he felt doom he turned his head slightly to the left and then felt the point of a knife or spear that was pricking into his side instantly he became wide awake he turned his head and there were two men and a woman standing behind the two men. All he could do was remain frozen and stare into the dark almond-shaped eyes of the woman. They were the eyes from his dream the night before, but now it was not a dream. He felt scared, and he was sure they would kill him. The three people were dressed in long, colorful, yet simple gowns. They started to talk to him, but he could not understand anything they were saying. The men motioned for him to rise, and at the same time, they kept the spear against his ribs. The north wind was ready to fight if he needed to, but for now, they didn't seem like they were going to actually harm him, so he took a deep breath and stood up. One of the men motioned for him to start walking towards the beach, so he did. He wanted to glance back at the woman because she was beautiful, and it had been many, many months since he had seen a female, but He kept walking because he was scared they may poke him with the spears. Ahead and down the beach to the right where the sun was rising, he could see there was a dark wooden canoe on the beach. He knew now he was being taken as a prisoner. And he also realized that what he had thought of as a deserted island most likely was not a deserted island. Once in the boat, they motioned for him to take the oar and paddle. One man also rowed and the other man sat behind him, keeping the spear raised, ready to strike if he did not cooperate. The woman sat in the front of the boat, facing towards him. She was lovelier than when he had first noticed her, and now the robe that had been covering her body exposed her smooth brown thigh. Unlike the woman he had known from his country, this woman seemed to have no hair on her legs. The two of them stared at each other as the Norsemen paddled, She seemed to be as curious about him as he was about her. After more than an hour of paddling along the shores, she briefly smiled at him. He was scared to smile back since the man behind him still held the spear, so he remained stoic, but returned her smile with his eyes. The woman gently parted her lips and seemed to let out a brief sigh. Then she closed her eyes. After another half of an hour or so, the Norseman could see they were heading to a small bay where a fairly large ship was anchored. He could see there were more men and women on the boat. As they drew closer, he could see many on the boat had gone to the side of the boat and were pointing at them. He assumed they were surprised to see that their peers had captured him. When they pulled alongside boat, the boat, the woman climbed out first up a rope ladder. This time he saw more of her legs. He was scared. But so far, they had not harmed him, and it did not appear that they were going to threaten him. He climbed up the ladder next, and the woman was waiting at the top with two other men who were holding spears. She waved her arm and said something to them, and they lowered the spears. She then took him by the hand and led him to a cabin in the back of the boat. He was surprised at how firmly she held on to his hand. No one followed the two of them as they walked along the deck. The people that had watched him, mostly the women, now flashed smiles at him and chattered in whatever language they were speaking. The Norseman no longer felt he was in any danger, but now another feeling crept into every ounce of his being. He started to realize he may never return to his home. It dawned on him that he had nothing left of his former life other than his honor. He felt dizzy and thought he may pass out. And then the woman took his arm and held it with both her hands. He felt safe, but very alone. He felt the woman's love and compassion, but that was not enough to overcome the dread he felt of not being with his own people. He then fainted in her arms just as they approached the cabin. When he awoke, he was laying on a soft bed he was naked except for a cloth covering him. He could smell sweet scents. He moved his arm to his face and saw his skin was clean. He had been shaved and coconut oil had been rubbed on his skin. The woman sat on a pillow a few feet away from it. Farther away sat one of the men from the canoe and another older man. They were eating and drinking. The Northman realized how famished he was. He sat up and the woman came to him and wrapped another cloth around his naked body and tied it in place. The men who were eating waved their hand and said something which he did not understand. The woman took his hand again and led him over to a stool near the other two men so he could sit and partake of the refreshments. The Norseman said, quote, thank you, unquote, and nodded his head. He sat quietly with the two men and ate. The food was spicy, but he enjoyed the taste. After they ate, the two men said something to the woman and she came over and sat next to the Norseman. At that moment, he realized he was hers and hers alone. His past would have to remain hidden in the recesses of his memory. The woman would love him, but he must adopt to her culture if he was to survive. Maybe at some point he could leave on one of the boats. He was a man of honor, and he realized he was not a prisoner of an enemy, but a captive of a princess. At least after his solitude on the island, he now had a purpose other than building a boat and wanting to leave. He guessed the woman was a princess, Well, whether she was or not. He believed she was the daughter of the older man, They talked and made hand gestures, trying to communicate with him. After a few hours, there was a laughter and a bit of communication. They learned his name, and he learned theirs. He didn't notice the boat was now sailing, and they were far out to sea. It was night. The conversation wound down, and what little communication that had happened seemed sufficient for the two men and the woman. She left, and the men motioned for him to lay down and sleep. So he did. He slept like a baby and did not remember any dreams when he woke up. When the dawn came, the ship floated on a gentle breeze and calm seas into a magnificent harbor. Soft clouds floated above the well-tended tropical green hills in back of the harbor, and to the south, along the shore, there was a quaint city. The Norseman was gently awakened by his princess named Jikada, He recalled her name from the learning lesson the night before. The rest of his mind was blank. He blinked his eyes to wake up and instantly recalled what had happened over the last few days. Jikata sat close to him, and he felt like reality had turned into a dream, a nice dream. He was trying to wake up and kept blinking his eyes. Jikata leaned in close to him and stared into his eyes. Then her lips touched his He felt like he had landed in paradise. She then, ever so slowly, in the most alluring way, moved away from him. Then again, she leaned forward and kissed his lips. He felt her breast touching his chest for an instant, and then she completely pulled away from him. He opened and shut his eyes, again trying to see if he was really awake or asleep. It was not a dream. Time passed, and the Norseman matured from a young man into a father with his princess bride. They lived a peaceful life. She bore him two children, a boy and a girl. The city was close to the sea, but the Norseman no longer felt any desire to journey from what was now his home. Though he was the only man in the village with blue eyes, he was accepted as one of the natives. He learned their language and culture. On occasion, he would travel along a road from the coast to the neighboring village where his wife had relatives. He knew he was on a large island, far from where he had left his mother and father, but his desire to return to his people had nearly completely diminished, and he rarely even thought of his culture, other than on rare occasions when he pulled the two battle swords that had been given to him by his father when he married his princess. The swords reminded him of when he would play with wooden swords as a child with his two brothers and cousins occasionally he would see his mother in a dream but that was now becoming less and less his wife was pregnant again and he wanted the child if it was a girl he wanted it to be named after his mother his wife agreed time passed and now the norseman had three children and they were all vibrant young adults They were learning and enjoying the same peaceful life he had come to know. It was a foggy morning, and a Norseman lay in his bed with his princess. They were jarred from sleep by a loud knock on the door. The Norseman hurried to the door. It was a messenger sent from his father-in-law. It was bad news. There was a ship that had docked in the neighboring village, and the men from the ship were pillaging the village. Buildings were being burned and women were being raped. The men that were committing the atrocities were physically the same as the Norsemen. When he heard those last words from the messenger that the men were the same as him, he wondered for a brief instant what that meant. Then, when he questioned the messenger, he felt he was not familiar with the words that the messenger was using. Was it the intonation, or had he never learned those words? He quickly turned to his wife, and she explained the term he had never heard before. For the first time since he had been lost at sea and rescued by his princess, he realized that some people or many people in his village looked at him as different from them. He laughed out loud. He laughed at his own naivety because it seemed silly. And he knew the one word that referred to him as an outsider in all reality was trivial and not reflected of people's attitudes in the village. It was also the word for an orange fish. He knew who he was and where he was. It made no difference what words were used to describe him. What mattered was his honor. Honor was his only mission. He told the messenger, He would be at the town center shortly. He kissed his wife and stood tall, ready to face his future. He knew who his people were, and he had to protect them. He had a choice, but really, there was no choice if he followed his honor. His instinct was driven by his honor. His oldest son wanted to go with him. He was a strong young man, but the Norseman was not going to allow him to come. The son pleaded, but the Norseman refused. There was no time to discuss the matter further. He quickly dressed and then headed down the path to the central part of his village to meet with the others. He brought both of his battle swords. His wife begged him not to go as he jogged away. She fell to the ground in tears, fearing the worst. Her children consoled her. At the center of the village, a large group of men had gathered with their weapons A few had swords, like the Norsemen, but most only had large staffs and spears. The village elders led them down the path along the shore to their neighboring village. After about half an hour, they could see the smoke on the horizon. When they rounded the last curve in the path down down the hill leading to the village, they could see more smoke rising on the horizon from the now smoldering, smoldering buildings. Further down the path, they encountered men, women, and children that were fleeing the village. Some were gravely injured, and their wounds were wrapped in bloody cloths. Some of the men had been retreating, now stopped, and joined the group that was going to confront the intruders. They could see the boats in the harbor from the path high above the village. There were four boats, so that meant there could not be more than 100 or so of the intruders, Now the men proceeded with caution. It was nearly noon and the sky was beginning to cloud over from a fast approaching storm. They hid in the hills above the village, peering down at the Viking intruders. The Vikings were armed with swords, but the weapons made no difference because there were few people left in the smoldering village. The Vikings had piled the dead bodies of the men that had resisted them on the beach and were piling wood over them to burn them. They were drinking the ceremonial alcoholic beverage the villagers stored for special occasions or ceremonies. They were roasting pigs and chickens. They had women and young girls tied together with ropes and they were taking turns raping them. It was a horrifying and gruesome scene. The men on the cliffs wanted to attack immediately, but the elders held them back. They needed to have a plan The Vikings were well armed and if they just came running down the hill at them it could turn into a a losing battle. The Norseman sat alone away from the others on the hill and felt very ill. He was by himself weeping and throwing up. He felt in some way guilty that it was his people that were doing this to what were now his family members. He realized he would have been doing the exact same thing had he not been lost at sea. He did not want the others to see him crying. He knew some of the Norsemen could be his relatives or friends. There was a good chance he even knew some of their names. It was a horrible feeling and he couldn't contain his emotions. More than the confusion in his mind was the confusion in his soul. One of the leaders from the village came over to him and put his arm on the Viking's shoulder. He spoke in a soft, low tone to him and explained that if the Norseman wanted to not participate in the attack, that he would understand, but also that if he did not participate, then the other men most likely would exile him from the village. The Norseman understood this was his reality alone. Neither his fellow villagers nor the invading Norsemen had the same dilemma. He composed himself. He, started, he, stare, he stared into the eyes of the elder and explained he was fully committed to protect his people. He would fight with every last ounce of energy he had. It was his duty and his honor. The Vikings below were long out of his memory and most likely they were not his family. His wife and children were waiting for him to return from the battle. The elder motioned for some of the other men to come over to where he and the Norsemen were sitting alone. The elder told them that the Norsemen would lead the assault on the invaders as soon as the rain began to fall. They huddled around the Norsemen and stared at the darkening sky. The fires continued burning. The dead kin on the beach and the stench sickened them all. All men are afraid when they go into battle. Fear is often masked with drugs and fueled with ideology. The law of the jungle still applies in warfare, even though in our modern world international standards have been set. The Geneva Convention outlaws chemical weapons and other atrocities, but nations still break the rules. Honor, has become a tale of the past, especially for those nations that base their beliefs in religions of war and world dominance such as Islamic nations and China. It is a sad, sad day that modern man still has to deal with antiquated ideologies. The Norseman did not live in our modern world. He lived in the distant past. He had been stranded alone on an island after his conquering expedition was lost at sea in a nasty storm he was taken in by people he had never knew existed people with different beliefs and customs than his he had married and was raising a family he knew he was a viking just like the invaders on the beach below the beach below the perch on the cliff but he also knew He had left the Viking culture behind him. Survival and love had changed him. What had not changed was his honor. His honor was embedded in his soul. Honor was the law of the land even before there were laws to define it. Extremely dark clouds that had only been hanging over the ocean suddenly rushed in and the rain poured down. The villagers waiting in the hills could see how strong the rain was below, but the clouds had yet not yet reached them in their loft above the bloody beach. It was as if the, quote, gods, unquote, had intervened to put out the fires, but they were still destroying the village below. And to stop the piers of their dead relatives' smoldering bodies was the only hope that they held out. Led by the Norsemen, they slowly crept down the mountainside, avoiding the main path to the village. The Viking intruders were putting more wood on the four massive fires that were burning the dead victims of their massacre because the heavy rain was starting to quench the flames. The others were lounging about the beach, drinking, eating, and playing with the captive women. They were relaxing and enjoying the fruits of their conquest. The Viking called a halt at the edge of the village and the elders amongst them gave him their blessings to the men and prepared the men to dash forward onto the beach and attack. So far, they had not been seen by the Viking intruders that gathered on the beach near the stinking fires. The men crept around the smoldering huts and then on the signal of the Norsemen, they made a dash towards the beach. Their war cries pierced even the lightning and thunder that was flashing in the sky. The intruders were unprepared, drunk and tired from their day of pillaging, so they were surprised and no match for the bloodthirsty villagers. The few that could ran to the shore in retreat where their skiffs would take them out to their ships. The Vikings that had remained on the ships saw the attack and launched their six remaining skiffs towards the shore to help in the fight. Battles always seem to go on longer than they actually do, but in this case, because many of the villagers had only wooden staffs, the battle did go on for longer than it should have. The villagers beat many of the Norsemen repeatedly until their bodies stopped moving. Many of the Vikings' helmets were knocked from their heads and then the skulls were broken open. The Norsemen killed many, with his two battle swords. He wheeled them like a man possessed, killing one after another. He was the first to see the reinforcements coming from the ships moored in the harbor. He grabbed a few of his men that were around him and went to the beach to meet the incoming skiffs. They brought torches and tossed them into the skiffs before they landed so the Norsemen in the skiffs would would be forced to jump into the water with their full battle gear on. The villagers piled into the water, overturned the skiffs, and beat the Vikings that tried to keep their heads above the water. Only when the last skiff came close did the Norseman pause and notice the man in the boat. It was his cousin. Their eyes met, and the cousin recognized him. The Norseman raised his hands in the air and motioned for the villagers that were preparing to throw their bodies into the boat to halt. The Viking yelled out to his cousin. His cousin yelled back at him, astonished. Why? What are you doing? We thought you were dead. The Viking screamed back at his cousin. Leave. Do not return to this island. I am still alive, and I still have my honor. This is my island now, and these are my people. If any of you ever return here, we will be prepared and we will fight to defend our honor. His cousin replied, but why? Why have you no devotion to your family and your people? The Viking could taste the the blood dripping into his mouth from a wound to his face his eyes were focused and his mind was clear the blood reminded him of who he was i have my honor my honor is the honor of my people and of my family and for my life now turn your boat turn your boat around and leave before we finish you but why, but why, your father would want you to return with us? His cousin yelled out, confused and shocked that he was seeing the Viking alive. The Viking replied, pointing to the sea and gest- gesturing for his cousin to leave. Quote, had you come in peace, many would not have died. Take this lesson and return to tell the tale Never again allow our people to pillage and burn. Know that honor goes far beyond both you and I. It is the will of the gods. Now leave. To be continued.